you can calm down. The chief is here. He's on the scene. This letter is to who, to whom it may concern. Editor, The Daily News, Huntington, Pennsylvania. After watching the very nice recent parade here in Huntington, I would like to make a suggestion of the person or persons who are responsible for lining up the marchers for future parades. Please put the horses in the rear of the parade. <laughs> would you please give me a little band music in there? We'd like to salute that problem there, please. And so we would like to salute, as part of our vast public service programming on this totally concerned radio station, we would like to salute band members who have been marching for many, many years behind the 7th Horse Cavalry of the American Legion Post 6SJ7, Pitcairn, Pennsylvania, for all these years. Only a guy who's played the sousaphone in the last row of a marching band immediately following 17 horses knows exactly what that means. <laughs> yeah, well, you keep that up there for a minute, man. It says horses do their... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, do their business right in the middle of the street. This is the letter I'm reading. And as the innocent marchers come along, they have to step in it and be embarrassed to pieces. Uh, more than that, baby, I, it's more than being embarrassed. The band members are usually looking straight ahead, and they're playing away, and they cannot see what they are stepping in or on. And <laughs> so it's, uh, for one thing, this destroys the... Uh, the concentration of the crowd, who should be listening to music and join the parade, and they're all betting whether or not the trombone player is really going to step full in it or not. Anyway, he says, why, why put those horses in the middle? They are very nice to look at and really do add to our parades, but it seems to be poor judgment on someone's part. I feel many other readers will agree with me. Our Halloween parade is next. So let's have the horses bring up the tail end of the marchers. I enjoy all our parades. And I remain a dedicated parade watcher. Now, very few of you out there are so dedicated as a parade watcher that you are aware of those little technicalities which do occur as uh, you march along the line of road. Let me tell you, uh, if you think that's the only kind of a scene, uh, that's a great, I love to, <laughs> to hear a band play once in a while, you know, having once played in a band. Uh, it, it, you know, there's there's nothing really. You you can't you can't kid yourself. I mean, the the sound of a band playing is not is not uh, warming. It's it's not the kind of thing that uh, that brings out the deep sentiment in anybody. What's that? Newspapers? Goose pimples? It gives you goose pimples? I suggest you see a dermatologist if you have that problem. Goose pimples? You mean a band playing? Oh man. But uh, I'll tell you what it gives me. It gives me a shoulder ache. Of course, it's psychosomatic. Uh, being a tuba player and having lugged a tuba over, say, 4,000 clocked miles uh, behind the lady of the moose auxiliary one time or another, you begin to develop... What? I'll, I'll ask you a bit of trivia, Tony. If you've watched bands, you have seen bands in your time, do either of you guys know which shoulder the sousaphone player carries his sousaphone? I'll get, let you guess now. He's missed. <laughs> That's right. It is the left shoulder. One operates the uh, the keys with the right hand and the spit valve, too, constantly. 
And I might point out, if you're behind this, you know, various instruments create various salivary problems, which have, Leonard Bernstein will not discuss this sort of thing in front of you, but uh, they do. And uh, some instruments uh, have more salivary problems than others. Now, if you're behind the trombone section, you better, you, you, you're awash. You're awash. And I mean awash with the salivary problems of the trombone itself. Did you know that? What's the worst horn for salivary difficulty? What would you guess? Not the sousaphone, though. The tuba? No. Why? No, not at all. The bigger the horn is not really important. It's the type of mouthpiece. It is the French horn. French horn is miserable that way. And if you want to kill a French horn player from a thousand feet, and uh, the band is marching past, and the peck horn there is working away, you just start sucking on a lemon, and that guy is out of the ball game for about three weeks. Do you hear what I said? You start sucking a lemon in front of a peckhorn player, and he ain't playing for about three weeks. That's the quickest way to put him out of action. His horn suddenly starts making blatting noises, and uh, it starts overflowing, and the next thing you know, it's coming out of his ears, and he just don't hit them notes. That's all there is to it. Now, <laughs> I, uh, we, we had one time, I'll never forget this fantastic scene, that we had uh, one time in the uh, in a parade. See, guys that uh, that set up parades uh, don't think in terms of the effect that one unit has on another unit, the immediate following it, or uh, let's say that you immediately precede. They don't. They just say, "Now, wouldn't it be great if the lady of the moose, after all, they were very mad last year because they were way back there behind the plumbers, local number ten, twelve, and so now they want to get moved up in the parade. They want to be up next to the American Legion and uh, the." Uh, the, the, the state championship high school high school band is, is getting bugged because it's always following the the uh, Miss Griffith Indiana float. Nobody looks at them, <laughs> which is what happens. You know, you get behind a float, you know, with some unbelievable chick up there on top of it, and you could believe me, you could be playing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and absolutely playing the greatest performance in the world, and nobody sees it. They're oh, looking at the chick up there. And and I remember one float they had. Oh, was it embarrassing? They didn't realize it until it actually got going. You know, they build these floats. And uh, have you ever been in a garage where they're building a float? Well, that's that's an experience. And uh, uh, <laughs> we we were parading one time behind uh, behind this this Miss uh, Miss uh, Pumpkin Pie or something like that. Know, you know, who, you know, they always have some kind of thing to get a chick involved. And uh, they had this big float. And the float was, was in the shape of a pumpkin. And it was a big, big pumpkin. It had all this, this yellow and orange paper and green paper like leaves and jazz. It was a big pumpkin, see. And somebody had an idea how groovy it would be if they had a wind machine inside this thing. And every a couple of minutes, you see, this thing would turn on. The wind machine would turn on. And it would it had like streamer flags on the top. And the wind machine would go, and all the flags would fly. See, they'd flutter like mad. And they had lights that went off and on in the eyes. Talk about slob art. I, I, I suspect that the, that the whole field of slob art hits its absolute zenith, its absolute peak in the parade mentality. Uh, the guys that design floats, you, some floats are so, in, it's such a fantastic. Did I tell you one time that the plumbers, the plumber local, you know, the, they have locals, you know, these unions, and they always have these big floats, and they always compete for the silver cup, you know, the most unusual float and all that. Would you believe it or not, I one time saw a float in a parade that I was in, 
and it was built on a on a on a Dodge truck chassis. See, with all the wood. You know how they build them. See, they take a Dodge truck or something, a, a flat pickup type truck, which is it has a low profile. See, and then they build wood out from it. You see, uh, like spokes out from the base of the truck, and it's it's usually bolted onto the truck, and then they usually use some kind of. Uh, Sometimes they'll use lath that they'll bend, and they'll use all kinds of things and cover it up with paper. Well, I one time was in a marching band that was the state champion marching band. You know, we thought we were really sharp, and we were, you see. And we had worked out like 5,000 routines, to, to great routines. So you should have seen our counter marches. You know what a counter march is, of course. You know, when a, when a band is marching forward, and the, the drum major turns suddenly, and he stiffens up on his... Where old uh, uh, Wilbur Duckworth, our our uh, fantastic, uh, yeah, he was a great uh, state champion drum major, and all drum majors, you know, real drum majors. I'm not talking about drum majorettes and that. I'm talking about the real drum major. He, that, that rank is real, you know. He is a major, and you are enlisted men. I don't care whether or not you're the state champion, oval player. You're you're. He's the major. He's he's in charge, and he sees it as a military operation. And it, uh, it is. That's a really good drum major. And this guy turns. He would always turn. He wore he wore he wore very pale gray sunglasses in parades under this fantastic shako shako. Is that what they call it? You know, the big thing looks like a great big shaving brush. You know, we had a big black one. He had a black one, and uh, his own. Now you can tell how dedicated a drum major is by whether or not he buys his own uniform. That's the essence of a true drum major. An old stinky Duckworth, uh, we call D. Duckworth, uh, for the reasons, of course, uh, it, was, it was all philosophical stinkiness. He wasn't, the, he wasn't actually, he was a meticulous. He was a kind of guy, you know, white gloves, elegant. And uh, Duckworth uh, not only was an elegant drum major, he was a total martinet. Now, I don't know whatever happened, you know, to this guy later on, but by God, wherever he is, he's given somebody hell. I'll tell you this, because because Stinky Duckworth was a driven man. <laughs> oh, and and he never had anything to do with this. He had a belief, of course, that the officers should not mingle with the enlisted men, and uh, simply he had several assistant drum majors that would take us out. This is actually what he did. He had assistant drum majors, you know, like second lieutenant drum majors, that that would take us out on the on the uh, football field to practice our stuff. They, uh, this is before big parades and that. He would never himself deign to come out to, except in the last hour of the last rehearsal before the big parade. And, and, uh, and Wilbur would come out. Yeah, he re this is the way he would do. He would always be w working out on his stuff at the other end field. He, uh, the other end of the football field, you'd just see this faint figure down there. And he's, he, he would come down to deal with us, and his his second lieutenant drum majors would drop off with his respectful tugging of the forelock, you know, because he was, he really was, he was a national, at one point, a national twirling champion, a fantastically dedicated man, and an uh, evil eye, he had these gray, emotionless eyes, and uh, he had his all his own equipment, and he would he would work out in a track suit, in one of these, you know, these track suits, a sweatsuit, say, and he had his, he's the only guy I ever saw do this. He had his tracksuit tailored. It was an elegant tracksuit. That's right. And he wore these, he wore these black track shoes when he was actually working out. And he would come down, uh, came down the football field the last hour. You knew, you knew that we were down now 
the time was ticking away and we were getting down to the, the zero hour when Stinky would come down the sidelines and he would just blow one long, clean blast of his whistle and let us know he's on the scene now. And the second lieutenant drum majors would immediately scurry off uh, <laughs> Big Wilson and a couple of guys. We had a guy named Big Wilson, just like the guy in town here. Big Wilson, you know, jovial drum major. You know, he, uh, they, 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 they'd fall off to one side, and Duckworth would stand out silently on the sidelines and look us over. Just look, at, you just look the band over from one end to the other. Long, pregnant pause. And then Duckworth would say, All right. I don't want to have happen what happened last week. Everybody knew what happened last week. In the countermarch, of course, that great crash when the trombones made the bad scene and they ran into the tubas or the, or the sousaphones. Oh, that's terrible. And uh, he said, now look, I'm going to tell you this. If you march the way you marched last week, you will be marching alone. I will leave the band. I am not going to be humiliated by such a spectacle again. And I also want to make this very clear. I am in charge of this band. All of you get three credit hours for performing in this band. Any questions? Many of you need those three credit hours. They may be the only credit hours you're going to get this year. A ripple of fear moves through the clarinet section. Duckworth raises his baton. He, he'd hold it at port, you know. He'd hold it at port. And he'd go... <laughs> or a sharp whistle. And... Tunk, he'd shoot that, that baton at, a, at an angle across his body. And then we were supposed to play, and I mean really play, and we would hit it. We were great in rehearsal. And then we would go through the routine that we were to perform the next day. And it was a, when Duckworth took us over, the routine was expected to be perfect. It was not a rehearsal, it was a performance. And we would finish the last countermarch, you know. You, we, we, he'd always, we'd always go into El Capitan, you know, or, or, or the stars and stuff. That was always the end. And he would give us that cue, you see. He would just hold it up high over his head. He'd marching back. Uh, yeah, this is W.O.R. New York. It's okay. So his, 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 usual, his usual, we had a, a regular drum beat, very fast drum beat. Our drum beat went something like this. Then they would do it, uh, we would use the trap drum just on the side, you know. Well, then he would get that. And we'd play, man. That was always the end of our act. See, we'd go marching out, see, between the goalposts. And, and the finale of our, of, our, of our routine always was a series of counter-marches as we came off. We didn't just sort of disintegrate the way the bands do you often see on television. We would march counter-marches, steady counter-marches. It was like a great accordion moving across the field, see? Counter-marching back and forth and inching forward like some maniacal inchworm 
all the while playing El Capitan. It's a very dangerous thing to do, by the way. I don't know whether you've ever played a sousaphone on a 45-mile-an-hour crosswind counter-marching backward on the last or the coda of El Capitan, and that takes a hell of a lot of doing. <laughs> well, everything... <laughs> and, and, and the thing about about Wilbur... But, well, before we get there, you want to hear the rest of this. I'll tell you, it's a terrible thing. And I don't think... I know I've never told this story before because this thing about the horses reminded me of it. But before we go any further, gang, friends, we have a couple of ding-dongs. All right, ding them away there, old dong. Hit it. Oh, man, this is impressive. Bring it on big. Yeah, chicka ching chicka There's a promise for America. Yeah, 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 promise. A bright new promise <laughs> just for you. <laughs> Chrysler Kenneth. Coming through. You have made us first place dealers throughout all the USA. Cause in Chrysler Plymouth sales we lead the way. With our guys you'll be a winner, number one in every way. That's the kind of dealer America wants today. See America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Act now while the price freeze is still on. Speaking of the hope for America, yes, there's much hope for America due to this. Uh, I'm playing Princeton University, our big yearly show, this November 6th. And uh, please don't call a station about it. That's uh, why we put these things on, because they're always doing it. Well, I'm going to be at Princeton, our big yearly show, which is, this actually is the biggest show, I think, that, that we do every year in, in live performance. And if you've never seen Alexander Hall, man, that's worth the price of admission. That's like the interior of Notre Dame's most basic nave. Uh, Princeton University, Alexander Hall, November 6th, and that's 8.30 p.m., and it's a Saturday. And here's something that's important. All the seats are reserved this year due to the fact that the last couple of years have been a couple of hundred people who were very mad because they couldn't get in. All seats are reserved. Now, here's the way you reserve your seat. By mail, if you're going to come by mail, you know, you're going to have your friend mail you in, uh, send a stamp self-addressed envelope with a check for $3 for every seat you want payable to WPRB. This is a benefit we're doing for the radio station there. WPRB, the Princeton University radio station. And their, their uh, address is this. Don't make the check out to me. Make it out to WPRB. That's it. WP is in Pittsburgh. R is in radio. B is in bunk. WPRB. And it's box 342, Princeton, New Jersey. And the zip code is 08540. The number again is WPRB, Box 342, Princeton, New Jersey, 08540. That's $3 per seat in check or money order. Do not send cash. Now, uh, if you happen to be in that area and you'd like to drop them in person and pick up your tickets, they're on sale right now at the Princeton University Store, University Place in Princeton. Tickets will not I repeat, not be available at the door. Okay? All right. Now, you know, uh, I, I, uh, it's 
funny. Uh, every trade has its danger that the outside guy doesn't know about. Now, take you, John, sitting in there day after day, operating the controls on these these radio shows. You know what the danger of your business is? Very few people realize the rotting of the brain that sets in after 10 years of sitting in front of a control board, eight hours a day, uh, listening to the likes of me and Barry Farber and a whole day. After, 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 after two years of this, you, you see the engineer beginning to change. And after 10 years, you see this vegetable coming in every day with this glazed look on the eye and his slack jaw hanging. And he's not good for anything after that. Nothing. I've never known an engineer good for anything after 10 years of work. It's a trade thing. You don't realize this. Trade thing. I've known of guys who've worked in, in music stations. Can you imagine sitting eight hours listening to the top 40 five days a week? Do you realize what that does to your, to your brain? You can go in there loving this music, and by the end of the, the next two years, there's nothing you love better than solid, total, completely, undynamic silence. Oh, terrible. You, you people don't realize what, it, what, it, what, it, what, what these... And so, so it is, you see, with, with the people who are, who are band members. You do not realize the, the dangers that are in, involved in, in playing in a band. Oh, I mean... The dangers are subtle, very, very subtle, and usually come about through chance. Now, you, you heard this note here about the band complaining about the fact that the horses were marching in front of them. And what happens when the horse... You know, a horse marches 20 hours. You know, he's got the few things he does, and next thing you know, it's all over you. Well, on this fantastic day, we were in a big Thanksgiving Day parade. Now, a Thanksgiving Day parade. You know, it's like Macy's, you know, a big parade here in New York. And uh, every year we had this big Thanksgiving Day parade, which was always uh, followed by the big traditional football game. Now, I suspect that a lot of you people who live in places like, you know, New York, uh, Weehawken, and they're basically uh, big-type eastern cities, do not realize the importance of high school athletics in towns all around this country. I mean, this is the way it is. I mean, it's much more important than, say, Notre Dame playing Michigan or uh, Texas playing Texas State. Or, uh, who cares, you know? It not, nobody cares if, if uh, say, uh, uh, Hammond Tech is playing Hammond. I mean, that's, that's the traditional game, and it's, it's fought for years, blood. And uh, a, a heroic halfback or a heroic quarterback on a high school football team is made for life in a small town. Oh, he's immediately given the a very special place of honor in the Rotary Club. And for years, he's, he's, he's an honored figure in the city, and, and, and to the day he dies, they always remember him as a great quarterback. So, nevertheless, the big day is always the traditional game. And the traditional game, in our case, was Thanksgiving Day. And it was always played in the daytime. All, uh, all the other games were played in the evening, you see. So, here I am, I'm a freshman. So the, the year after that, I started to play football. But the, the freshman year, I'm playing in a band, see, and playing on the freshman football team, which only played its games on, say, Thursday night. So I was, a, I was doubling there. Half of the guys in the band were doubling, too. So, you know, you always got to have something to fall back on. If you don't make the varsity, you can always, uh, you know, fit into the sousaphone section. So <laughs> that's, that's the way they thought. So nevertheless, this particular disastrous Thanksgiving Day game is a terrible uh, awful fiasco for us personally 
the, the parade, the line of march was set up. I was going to tell you the one of the worst floats I ever saw. Fantastic float. You won't believe. Talk about slob art. This is where I discovered slob art. In one of the parades, they always have local union guys. You see, local in, in this town, trade unions are not as important as they are in places like Indianapolis. You know, the plumbers local, they've always got a big band. Uh, the uh, the carpenters local, they have a band. You know, they have a band or they have a float. And every year, all these guys would compete for the most creative float. Well, one year, I couldn't believe my eyes. When everybody's assembling near the big park where we're going to march through the city on the line of march, the floats were gathering. Plumber's local, 6SJ7, unveiled its float. And it was made out of white lilies, you know, white flowers. It was a gigantic... Well, what, what is it that the plumber is called when you have a disaster in your house? I mean, what, do I have to tell you what the... Do I have to get specific and tell you what appliance... Well, the plumbers made a giant float that was in the shape of an... Well, all right, I'll say it. It was an enormous john. Fantastic john. And it had it had a, a, the seat of the john. They had a cover on it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm telling you the truth. It was this giant john made out of white lilies. And the seat, which was made out of, like, black crepe paper. They had a black... It looked like a big black marble seat, you know, the cover on it. The cover would go up every... Like, every... Uh, 15 or 20 yards, the cover would go up. They had an automatic setup, so the cover would go up, see? And they had tape recordings in this thing, and it was the sound of a John flushing. You'd hear, as, you know, to remind you that the plumber keeps America going. And as, <laughs> so, you know, it was a fantastic quote. Now, don't look at me. Don't get mad at me. I don't invent bad taste, friends. I report on it, you know? It's like getting mad at Walter Cronkite because it's the Vietnamese, the Vietnamese War. He just reports. He doesn't invent it. And so here was this float, and it was in front of us, our band, the state champion band. You know, we thought everybody was going to watch us. So here's, oh, here's old stinky uh, Duckworth out there with his fantastic twirling. And nobody could take their eyes off that fantastic uh, bomb of fantastically bad taste. And here we are marching right down the main street, and the mayor... <laughs> The mayor is up on the platform there, and they had this thing set, see, so that when the judges were up there with the mayor, see, the thing went, up came the top. You know, they flushed the thing right in front of everybody. Cheered. Nobody saw us that year. They only looked at the. <laughs> well, on this particular year, you've never seen a float like that, haven't? Well, you know what they did the next year? They had the same plumbers. They were right at it again, man. See, because the plumber, he spends his life working with this stuff, so he doesn't see anything bad taste in it, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's his world. I mean, this is his, what, what his life is made of. One year, they had a gigantic plumber's helper. You know, with the big thing, with the big squee, you know, the big suction cup on the bottom. There it was, a big thing. It had American flags flying from the top, but I thought it was kind of nice. That, that had a certain, certain uh, raw, basic uh, humor. You know? <laughs> oh, man. Well, this this particular year, I, 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 I guess I guess uh, the fact that I came up with the concept of slob art a few semesters back on the show was because I have been submitted to so much of it. I've been I've been subjected to so much slob art in my time that you couldn't help but be affected. I mean, you know, you, you think in terms of it. So this one year, oh man, what a scene! We are behind the sanitation workers, right? 
Well, no, no, they were all right. You know, they had a band. You know, the sanitation workers' band here in New York City. Well, they had a band out there, too. And they wore these little white heads. You know, they have a, the dress uniform of the sanitation workers. Very impressive, you know, with a cape, you know, and the uh, garbage-colored uh, lining. It's uh, very symbolic, see? So uh, we're, we're, out, we're out marching on this thing. It's at, at Davis. Now, the thing about, or rather, the thing about Duckworth, Wilbur Duckworth, our drum major, he was the most meticulous, the most beautifully turned out drum major I ever saw. Now, I've seen a lot of drum majors, and I've marched behind a few. But Duckworth was in a class by himself. Most drum majors, you know, take their uniforms that are given to them by the school. Oh, no. This was, uh, you know, forget it with Duckworth. Duckworth had six or seven complete uniforms that he himself had bought and had designed and were tailored for various types of events. Beautiful uniforms. You know, soft, uh, chamois skin whites, you know, skin tight with a, with, a, with a thin row of silver Cossack-type buttons down across the chest. Oh, beautiful thing. He had, he had white shakos and he had a... He had, a, he had a beautiful, short, silver-gray shako. Oh, he had beautiful uniforms, really. And he had, he had a set of matched stainless steel batons, and he had two silver, German silver pewter batons, which he got from Europe. Beautiful batons. You know. This guy was fantastic. He had a set of gold batons to go with his brown uniform. This guy was unbelievable. And he would bring them out. In, in, have you ever seen a drum major arrive? I mean, a really top-flight national champion drum major. He carries his batons around in a, in a soft leather case lined with, lined with red uh, velvet. And he brings them out, you know, and he opens it up and straightens up on his, his, his tailored track suit. And he starts going through his routine, moving slowly. He wasn't one of these guys who used stuff like flames and that jazz. His routine was pure choreography. And it reflected his mind, which was a, a meticulous, a kind of a, a mathematical driven mind. He would do things I've never seen any drum major even attempt and do it without even breathing hard. Just because he willed himself to do it. He refused to accept defeat. Just willed himself. Well, on this day, we line up. It's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And this was one of the big parades of the year. We had three big ones. Halloween, Thanksgiving, and the big Christmas parade. And once in a while, we'd have one in the spring. But these were the three biggies. And, the, and we had worked for weeks on our routines. And we had developed a whole series of, of oblique, uh, beautiful oblique countermarches. If you've ever seen a, a mathematically precise oblique countermarch, you have seen precision marching. And, of course, one of the rules of our band was nobody was allowed ever to play with music. You're always looking that you, whenever you see a band marching with music, you know, with the little lyre on the horn, that's a second-rate band. Right, Mac? Absolutely. Yeah, well, the same thing would be as if you saw somebody in the musical out on the stage there reading the music as they're playing, you know, I love you. You know, what would you think of that, you know? If the star comes out and, they, and she has the music and she starts singing it, you'd say, come on. A good band knows its routines and its music absolutely note for note, step by step, completely to memory. And and I remember one day one day Stinky out there and he's he's giving a critique. He would give us critiques on other bands that had marched, say, two or three months before with us. He'd say, Take I remember him one time to entirely destroying the Huntington, Indiana band, which at that time was a state champion band. 
And, and he destroyed it on the basis that they carried music. He said, all of you saw the Huntington Band. A ridiculous sight of a band. I was ashamed for that band. Personally, professionally, I was ashamed. To see a band that purportedly and called itself a state champion band with the music to the Star-Spangled Banner yet. They didn't even know the Star-Spangled Banner. We stand silently in front of them. You know, there's some men, some people, who have such a look in the eye that you obey them. I can't explain this. You've met these guys in your life. They don't, they don't threaten force. You just obey them by the, by the magnetism of their malevolent personality. This is what Hitler must have been like. Nobody knows really why they all obeyed Hitler. It was just something in him that they did, you know. They marched, man, all the way to the end. And that's the way, that's the way Stinky was. You will march correctly. And he was, I must say this for him, he was one of the, one of the most totally unflappable people I've ever known in my life. Now, most people, when any kind of a disaster sets in, they begin to react to the disaster. Even when you watch pro football, anything, you see this happening. You see a little tightening. You see a little wildness beginning because of some terrible fumble or something. I'll never forget Duckworth. There are days when I sit in my office, when it's all tumbling down around me. I can hear the screams of the wounded and dying coming out of the, out of the air shaft when they're cleaning out the 23rd floor. You know... Every, every six or seven months here, we have execution day. When men are actually, I have seen actually in the sales department, I remember one sales manager we had here a few years ago that walked up to a salesman. It was very beautifully done. He just laid it right there in front of him. A thirty-two caliber Derringer. He knew what he had to do. He did. And uh, so we do have execution day here. And whenever those things are happening, and I'm sitting in my office, and I get this scream. Some, I hate to hear a man cry when he's being shot. Terrible. When they, you know, executed before the wall. This is awful. And you hear him screaming once in a while. I hear, right, Mac? You've heard him once in a while. It's terrible. And uh, I say when a man's got to go, go with your jaw square. The glint in the eye. You know, when you're, when you're about to go down the drain, you holler something. You fling defiance right in their gut, like, hooray for WNEW! And boom, go. That's it. Do not go sniffling down on your knees, clinging to Bob Smith, hoping to be hoping to be saved at the last minute. Get up off your knees, you knave, you lout. All right. There are days when I can hear that going on all around me, and I can hear them cleaning out desks and changing locks on offices, and I could, I, you know, it's as devastating days. And on those days. I'm sitting there, you know, I'm probably the only guy you know who has, a, his, his, has his chair in front of his desk and it has a safety strap on it, shoulder strap, the whole thing, harness. You never know when this place is going to blow up and you better be strapped in. See, you don't want to get any, any whiplash dangers, you know, when the 24th floor goes up in flames or something. So I'm sitting there on those days. I can hear the wounded and the cry. Oh, one, uh, one day I, I saw a guy just crawl all the way down the hall, terrible, into the elevator, just crawled. Just call his suit ripped and torn, tears. And by the way, it was a Brooks Brothers suit, too. It was just sad. And so, 
Yeah, that's right. And his shoulder, he had the shoulder harness, he had a shoulder holster, a silver flask. He carried his martinis, the flask. And uh, it was hanging out. Oh, a sickening thing. So uh, on those days, John, when it's all crumbling around me, I have one way that I pull myself out of it. In the center drawer of my desk, there's a picture of stinky Wilbur Duckworth standing straight as a ramrod in a driving rain. He had such power that rain couldn't even get him wet. I said, drum major. And I say, think of Duckworth. What would Duckworth have done at this time? Hmm. Unflappable. And I'll give you an example of it. On this Thanksgiving day, in question, the disastrous day when it happened, Duckworth, because it was Thanksgiving, had one of his most beautiful, tailored drum major uniforms. He had a uniform that was pure, absolutely beautiful white, and it was made out of sort of doe skin. You know that kind of soft material that looks like suede? It was a doe skin uniform, and it had silver buttons in a thin stripe right down on a diagonal across his chest, and it was as tight just this tight, beautifully fitted, magnificently molded drum major costume. And he had this soft, white, astrakhan chaco, which cost him probably $500. And he was really turning it on him that day. It was a Thanksgiving Day parade, and it was a beautiful day. So he put on one of his most beautiful uniforms. And, of course, we were dressed in our contemporary, regular, ordinary band uniforms. But we knew that this was going to be a big day, and he meant it all the way. It's like it's like when the, the CEO in your company, if you're in the army, comes in and he's in full dress. Something's happening today. Well, we moved out in line of march, and we were about a third of the way back in the parade, and we were one of the big acts. We had just won a national championship in the band, and Duckworth himself had just won one of the major national baton twirling crowns. Magnificent. He was six feet three. He had a waist of about 12 inches. His shoulders were, you know, 45 inches, 52 inches across. He was built like a long, thin wedge. That magnificent, soft, doe-skinned, white uniform. And we moved out in the sunshine. And, and we usually started out, the first thing we played was usually the number which we would always end the parade with. Too. We had a whole thing that we would go through. We would play the NC4 March, the double emblem, on the mall, Colonel Bogey. We had a whole series of them. And, it, and you know how he, would, how he would ask us for a number? He would just, he would just ask us for, as he's, as he's holding up the baton in front of us, he would hold the number of fingers across the top of the baton. If he's holding two like this, that's number 22. If he's holding one like that, that's number 13. We had a whole system. See, never, never, there was never a word spoken as we were marching. It was all completely in silence and with signals. And so he gives us the signal, see, for El Capitan. He holds it up there, and psh, boom, down goes the downbeat, and bam. We start marching, see. And out ahead of us, you know, with the sun shining down, and you could see that gleaming figure. His back is arched like a bow. And you see that Shaco straight ahead, and flash of those silver batons. He'd raise that baton high. 
And then, at, at each point, when we go to the bridge, gung, he's given the beat, see? Gung, 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 gung. He had two batons. Gung. One's going up, and one is crossing. Gung, gung, gung. He'd go like this. Gung. He's marching. Then we would come to this point. Watch. As we go. Then he would start spinning. He's starting to twirl. It is whining, these things. They're going high up in the air. You'd see them flashing 30 and 40 feet in the air. You'd see that baton sailing. But all of a sudden, right in the middle of his, his fantastic routine, now he's going real good. See, at this point, he's got them both spinning in the opposite direction. He's suddenly up ahead of us. The sanitation department had one of its gigantic water sprinklers on display. They hit the button. All this gooey fluid, liquid, green and yellow, squirted high up over that magnificent white uniform. A stinky duckling. He didn't even move. His batons are flashing through that crud. And all this detergent is drifting down. He's just marching along it. And now I can see his uniform up ahead of the corner of my eye. His uniform is this sodden yellow, green, gray. You know that stuff that they shoot out of those those big those big squirters is not water. Did you know that? That is a mixture of a curious kind of cleansing stuff which has an oil base. <laughs> And detergents. Duckworth never even batted an eye. And through 42 miles of marching, every 12 minutes, that damn outfit ahead of us, that that sanitation outfit would hit the button. See, this was their big, brand new cleaning thing, which they had just gotten, and they were showing it to the population. And they would hit the button and... And Duckworth never even noticed it. He marched ahead straight as a ramrod. And I remember seeing at one point that great cloud of detergent drifting back and coming out of the top of the cloud, two silver batons floating high up over it. And down through that drifting mist of smelly cleaning fluid, and Duckworth moving forward. And there are times when life begins to encroach, when I can hear them machine-gunning salesman up on the 23rd floor. I think of Wilbur Duckworth marching through the detergent behind the sanitation department van. And I say to myself, my God, somewhere there are real men. <laughs>